0: You are listening to Tech Talks, the technology podcast that is published on Mondays and Thursdays with David Savage. And Jack Who's on the phone. And this is for the love of tech. On today's show, we are talking to Manon de Felice, who is the CEO and founder of Inkwell. And then we do have a news story for you to round up the week. We're talking about microchipping employees. Good afternoon, Jack. Good afternoon, David. Are you looking forward to your weekend? Um, it's one of those funny weekends, isn't it, where you've had four weekends and then you went to Monday to so your pay. So, as much as I'm enjoying looking forward to a couple of lions, there's not really much activity I can't taste in this weekend. To be honest with you. Ah. Uh, is is, is the, the cupboard a little bit bare? Yeah. Yeah, at one stage, uh, I looked over and behind you there were about seven empty glasses.
1: Yeah, I was, do- I was doing good stuff. What, drinking Prosecco? That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people, seem- people seem to enjoy Slightly Tipsy Jack, so yeah, I was just like, well this is working, I'll have another
0: drink. Is that, is that, is that in the opinion of Slightly Tipsy Jack? We were over at Here East yesterday for Startups Magazine, uh, their issue for launch, uh, which is titled Humans. Uh, I, I was kindly stuck on a panel along with some actual experts uh, to talk all about technology and its effect on, on society and people on an individual level. And listeners, we're used to seeing Dave in a,
1: in, in a moderating uh, perspective on, on, on events like this, but you were, you were on the panel yesterday, Dave, you are. answering Rather than asking questions, and I that i am not one for dulling out compliments to you. You know we've got a funny little relationship here, but I have to say, as Dave last night delivered his, his views and the views of the show. I'd say with such poise and aplomb and expertise, I—I really I, I felt compelled to give you a standing ovation yeah, at But that might have just been tipsy Jack thinking. Look. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it was a fantastic event. The panel was great, as were you, Dave.
0: It's very kind. I'm not. I. am not used to such gushing compliments from you. you don't get used to it either. Well, look, we can. you genuinely impressed me. <laughs> we, we can resume uh, normal service by describing what was said to you on the way into the bar after the event. Well, we had a marketing banner with us, and marketing banners come in, in long, thin cases that uh, the bouncers were a little bit suspicious of uh, and wondered whether or not we were about to, about to launch something. Um, and they, they asked us what it was, and you said... It's a poster with my face on it. Yeah, it's a poster with my face on it, to which uh, you then asked whether or not they wanted to see that, and, and they turned around and said, no, I've already had enough of looking at your ugly face. It was a little bit strong.
1: <laughs> Wait, you saying I should be offended? Should we call them out on
0: the show, Dad? Like, never drink at this establishment again. I can't remember the name of the establishment, so there's there's little point in doing that. Fair enough. Well, look, uh, that was our evening last night. Thanks very much to Daisy and the Startups Magazine for letting us come along and be part of that event. If you haven't seen Startups Magazine, we will include a link to the latest edition for you to be to to download and to explore. You definitely should. Uh, But look, we'll dive into this uh, interview with Manon, uh, the CEO and founder of Inkwell, and stay tuned because we will be discussing it and have some news for you afterwards. Manon, thank you for taking some time to, to have a chat. Thank you. You are the founder, CEO of Inkwell? Make sure I get that right. Yes, yes.
2: Thank you for having me. This is exciting.
0: No, well, thank you for getting me kind of, I feel like I've been smuggled into the speaker lounge. I know. Well, Well, (laughs) by the time this goes out, it's going to be too late.
2: Yes. um, Um, I don't like to take no for an answer.
0: No, no. No, look, it's it's really cool to kind of have some time to talk to you. Uh, For anyone who isn't familiar with Inkwell, would you just set the scene for like 30 seconds and tell us what it is.
2: Yeah, so um, at Inkwell we connect senior level talent with flexible jobs.
0: And is it specifically aimed at any particular parts of the market, any particular demographics? Or?
2: Um, yeah, well maybe I can explain a little bit about why I started Inkwell and it might yeah. make a little bit more sense. Um, so I am an attorney and my background was in criminal law, so I interned at the Manhattan DA's office, which is sort of like Law and Order SVU. Um, and then I ran the human trafficking task force for um, the city of New York under Mayor Bloomberg. Right. Um, and then I ran a nonprofit, and we worked on forced marriage, honor violence, and female genital mutilation in the U.S. So, totally different background. Um, and I, st- I had kids young, and started to watch a lot of my friends stop working when they had kids. Um, and I'm a, a total matchmaker, and I started matching my friends with um, flexible jobs. So. If you were senior VP of marketing at Pepsi, do a marketing project for a startup or a nonprofit, and I really sort of, um, I felt like the gap that when people drop out of that workforce, that's such a detriment to our GDP, and it's such mm. this like untapped workforce of talent that prioritizes flexibility over cash, and if we can figure out how to harness them, then um, it's sort of like a win-win for companies. And
0: in- yeah, have you in- see, have you seen explained on Netflix?
2: No, I haven't.
0: So they've they've got sh- short, fifteen-minute uh, kind of documentaries, literally explaining certain concepts. And one of them is the gender pay gap. Yep. And, and on that, it talks about the fact that it's not really a gender pay gap. Yep. It's it's a it's a, a parent pay gap.
2: Yeah. If
0: a woman decides exactly. to have a family, yep. then exactly. that's where she yep. ends up falling behind in yep. terms of salary.
2: And so, and there are sort of like flexible job opportunities and like gig jobs, but they tend to be more on that um, lower level. Yeah. And so if you're um, a senior level talent, if you have a graduate degree or, um, you know, you've worked 15 years at some of the best companies, there wasn't a way to really have those type of people do something in between 100 and zero, right? Yeah. So it's either work, crazy job all the time or don't work. And so we're trying to fill that middle ground. And so what we do, we do two things. We do full-time flexible placements. Sure. Um, so, for example, we're doing um, the CFO search for Crunchbase right now. Um, And so these are big jobs, but um, Jagger, the CEO of Crunchbase, is willing to have that candidate work one or two days a week from home in order to attract the best diverse candidate out there. And so that's one side of business, and the other side is um, sort of like project-based staffing, um, but again at that senior level. So if you're a startup and you need a CFO or a CMO or a controller, or general counsel, but you don't need to hire those people full time. You could do them 10, 20 hours a week um, through Inkwell.
0: So maybe this will show some of my own inability, but I was a pretty good technical recruiter. I did it for a lot of years. I placed about 700 people
2: over that time, worked
0: with a lot of different clients. In that time, I did have a lot of candidates come to me saying, is there anything that's part-time that's flexible for various different reasons and maybe it was mothers trying to get back into work after maternity leave. I also had one instance where there's someone I I know whose wife unfortunately died and he had a young family and he just couldn't work five days a week and I wanted to help those people but it was really hard to ever find the opportunities where you would find an employer who would take that person on. So how have you gone about finding? Is it talking to organisations and going, consider it?
2: I guess how Inkwell started was really just me networking. So I go to conferences like this, like Web Summit or Founders, and I meet other founders. um, And I sort of pitch this concept, like, um, are you, you know, you're looking for someone? Like, think outside the box, right? Um, Unemployment's below 4% in the US, right? So if you're trying to attract those best people, um, try to think of something other than cash, right? Like, if you look at that pie chart of compensation, cash is just like one slice of the pie, right? So if you make flexibility another slice, um, and especially for this demographic of people, that flexibility matters more than the cash, right? And so uh, as a way to attract this kind of talent, think about offering flexibility. And we really think that's sort of the way to get more diverse talent, right? So a lot of these companies, they say there's no senior women on boards, there's no senior women in leadership. So a solution to that is by offering flexible roles. And so I think once we sort of pitch that to the founder, they're pretty receptive to it, and they say, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give you this role, I'll give you that role, let's try it. Um, and so that's kind of how it's been done historically. What we're building now at Inkwell, which is what I'm super excited about, is, you know, we were trying to figure out, well, how do we scale this model? And so um, a traditional recruiting firm, almost like a traditional real estate company, the way they would scale would be to hire more brokers or more recruiters and yes. kind of build out that way. Um, so. I didn't I have no background in recruiting and so for me managing a recruiting team didn't really make a lot of sense. So I was like how else can we scale this? And what we've developed over the past few years is this community of super engaged senior level diverse talent. I would say we're about 80% women, but as you said there's men as well. And so we have these 4,000 people in our community and if they're senior level diverse talent, their networks are senior level diverse talent as well. And so what, we've start, what we've, we're have what we launching is this sort of referral program. And so now when we have an open job, for example, the CFO at Crunchbase, we um, identify through AI who in our community might have a match to that role. We reach out to our community and say, do you know someone that would be good for this role? Would you mind introducing us? If they introduce us and that person gets hired, they get $10,000. And so we're doing that on both sides. So you bring in a job, a flexible job into the community and that gets matched, you get $10,000. You bring a candidate that gets matched to a flexible job, you get $10,000. And the idea is, is let's empower this community to really build the workplace and the workforce of the future that they want to see.
0: They are your Want of a better description? They are your recruitment consultants. We're
2: turning them into recruiters, yeah. And yeah, yeah. so, in that first degree sort of referral is super valuable because um, if, let's say, you were part of our community, you were to say, "Oh, you know, my sister would be amazing for this job," right? Mm. Your sister is 100% going to respond to that introduction, right? And so, we have 100% response rate from the referrals, and um, and then we get to compensate our community for their networks. And
0: it also uh, hacks the problem that there isn't really a platform that, that houses all the candidates in the world. So LinkedIn, Stack Overflow, GitHub, yep. you might be able to find one person on one or the other, but if you don't have an in with that group of people, then it's nigh on impossible to network around.
2: Exactly. And um, so through this, when so to be accepted into the, into the Inkwell community, you need to give your LinkedIn a few references and then you start making matches. And over the course of a year or two, we're going to get a really good picture of what that person's elite network really is and so um, rather than LinkedIn where you have 4,000 or 5,000 matches at Inkwell we're really going to see you know what are David's um, exclusive network.
0: So just thinking about the, the way to grow that business that sounds very organic. Are there areas that you see it taking off better than others? Because the US, we often, we often think in London, in the UK, yeah. that we've got this wonderful melting pot where everyone's very close geographically yeah. and therefore it makes, that's probably one of our strengths. And you think of the US and you think of the East Coast and you think of the West Coast mm-hmm. and you've got this big chunk in the middle that mm-hmm. we certainly don't really kind of talk about. And then you've got here, you've got this global community of people from all over the world.
2: Yep.
0: Are there areas where this really works better than others that there are good learnings from?
2: Um, I think that because it's flexible there can be i really believe that any job can be done flexibly so we're industry agnostic i feel like any role can be done flexibly especially with technology today I think that when you think about diversity, it's not just men women, it's diversity of thought, right? Yep. You want different experiences. And so even the startups that are on the, on the coast in the US, they need people from the middle of the country on their teams. And so it's another sort of reason why they should think about flexibility because they can have someone that's living in a different part of the country mm-hmm. on their team with those different ideas. Um, what I do see is um, the startups are much more receptive to that um, flexibility model than a traditional firm. And I think that just goes to show that you know startups think a little bit outside the box. They're desperate for senior level talent. Um, they are cash tight. So this is like a really great model yeah. um, for them to kind of attract those people. If you're a startup and your dream person comes from Google, the Google person isn't going to go to just some random startup, but if you let them work from home two days a week, maybe they will, right? Yeah. And so um, that I think that works really great um, for startups. Unfortunately, for the bigger companies, um, you know, maybe the CEO or you know a hiring manager might think that this is a great model and they want to try it, but the minute we get sort of kicked down to HR, it sort of dissolves. So. The HR leadership at the at the bigger firms are not super receptive to this because it seems like more work, more complicated. It's going to disrupt, yeah, yeah. you know, their culture and so.
0: Last quick line of thought: You're building this business. You obviously espouse the idea of flexibility.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How flexible? I mean, is your is your team <laughs> kind of fairly fairly distributed over over a wide area, or are they all kind of in one area?
2: Yep, so I built Inkwell using this model of talent. So I was actually working full-time when I started Inkwell, um, and the woman that helped me write my business plan was a Harvard Business School graduate that lived down the street and wasn't working. She helped me write that. Um, The person who did my original branding um, had just left Lippincott where she was charging $300,000 for branding projects and then did mine for, you know, a few thousand dollars. And so we really built Inc. while using this model of talent and we continue today. Um, So most of the people that work with us um, are um, contractors or work part time or flexibly and we're a completely virtual organization. So we have no office.
0: And it's the first business that you've run. So how, well, I know that you've worked in some very high-powered jobs as you you described beforehand. I
2: started a non-profit before that, but yes, this is the first for-profit business I've ever worked at.
0: (laughs) How have you found managing that business with it being distributed and not having everyone where you can see them? Because there is that thing, isn't there, where you're growing it. You want to have a hands-on kind of ability to shape it at the beginning. That that must be quite, that must have been a challenge.
2: well, the nonprofit I ran was also virtual, yeah. um, so that helped. I did that for five years before Inkwell. And I, when, I mean, when I started Inkwell, it was just me in my kitchen, right? Yeah. So it just kind of continued. We added different support when we needed it. Um, so it's been pretty um, natural and organic. To it, it comes easily to me to sort of have these virtual teams. I do think it also gives you that opportunity. That if you're not spending money on office space... You know, spend money on like a great group dinner, or you know, some fun activities, and so it's a way to kind of um, have some extra money to spend on perks. So,
0: utilizing those resources in a slightly more creative way.
2: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I just think an office space doesn't really make that much sense. No. Yeah.
0: When are you on stage?
2: When? Um, Today. So I am speaking actually with Jagger, um, who is the CEO of Crunchbase and one of our clients. Um, So I'm speaking with him today. Yeah. And um, tomorrow I am emceeing um, the SaaS Monster stage um, as well as the content maker stage.
0: Well, look, you've got to Packed schedule whilst you're here, so best of luck. Thank you for spending a bit of time to talk to, to me Thank and you the so podcast. much. It's
2: so nice to meet a recruiter, and I am so <laughs> grateful for your insights on this platform. Thank you so cool. much.
0: Thank you. So I knew that Manon was a, was a determined woman um, uh, right away because at the, the beginning of the interview, when I talk about her smuggling me into um, the speaker area at Web Summit, basically you have to have a particular pass to get in, and they are militant about that. I've, I've spoken to several people who've tried to get people without the right badge in there and it's just a no-go. But um, yeah, she just made me walk after her. And like anyone that, that, anyone that looked in our direction, she kind of said under her breath, keep walking to me, like on the far side of me and just glared at them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what, what what? A, what a I, guess, I guess that's what happens when you're an American attorney who works in, Michael, in, in Mayor Bloomberg's office rather.
1: the most bizarre TV programs you
0: will ever watch. Uh, well, I, what I did find, I do find it hilarious that she used to work in human trafficking and now she works in recruitment. <laughs> What's the difference? No, of course not, we shouldn't joke about that. But... No, we only say that because of obviously we, we, we know recruitment very well. Um, <laughs> so we can make that joke, it's fair. Exactly. But look, I mean, there's, there's several things that came out of this interview that I think are, are really um, interesting points. Uh, as she points out um, at that senior level you either work a crazy job or you don't work at all and trying to plug that gap that kind of sits in between by introducing flexibility but we've spoken um on the podcast in the past um our last live show in, in particular about what motivates people you know is it purpose is it money is it status and money when we asked about purpose and money money Came way, way, way down the chart in terms of what motivates people and purpose motivated them. And I think if you can give someone the flexibility to do something that they really love doing, as this would tie into, then you're on to a yeah. bit of a winner, and you do get a much more diverse, interesting environment. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the the connectivity uh, within within the network and the community that I'm sure we'll talk. About, it's something that, honestly, when I was listening to the interview, sort of had my mouth open in awe. I was like, "This is seemingly so, again." How many times we it say it's seemingly such a simple idea, but what a way, what a revolutionary way of um, coming up against something rather archetypal. I mean, that's getting into a bit more of the, uh, the recruitment side of it, but to, to the, the idea behind um, uh, inquiry is, is one that is, is very respectable.
0: Yeah, and look, we, we talk a lot about the fact that this is an industry that is heavily reliant on relationships. And the disruption of recruitment to this stage has all been through automation. And to a degree, a, a bit of a race to the bottom in terms of lowering costs, etc. But this is a model that flies in the opposite direction. I mean, okay, it that she has less overheads because she doesn't have a big team of recruiters to... Uh, employ and manage, but is it isn't totally enshrining the relationship piece rather than than automation. Well, in the in the research and stuff that we've looked at in the past,
1: uh, especially around recruitment, it can be re- replaced by machine learning by AI. But people are always going to want that human interaction with recruitment. You, you, there's that trust element, right? And what what uh, Manon uh, in quote doing is sort of remaining that human element. But then using AI within their community and using their community's networks and
0: stuff to then, you know, start a referral programme. Yeah. Which is which is I mean I was looking
1: at it and going, if this isn't the future of recruitment, I don't know what it's honestly.
0: Yeah, no, to me, um, I think that AI piece is very much for the more transactional parts of the market. And uh, I love the fact that she does aim this at the senior part of the market where, you know, if, 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 if you've got quite a complicated role, it's a CFO role, and maybe it's uh, 10 to 12 hours a week, as she describes at one point in the interview, then an algorithm is gonna struggle with that, certainly at the moment it will struggle with that. And you do need someone to be able to turn around and go, oh, actually there was this person that I worked with two, three years ago who would be perfect and understand the nuances of the industry and of that individual.
1: To, to, to link these people up because we were at um, the Future Skills event at the Huckle Tree the other day and um, I, I I don't want to get the name wrong so I'm just going to say a really high up person at Marks and Spencers who was on the panel oh, Sharon. Sharon, Sharon Peters yeah Yeah. Um, she said that she is seeing a lot of senior people that are too afraid to ask for help to ask for training to ask for mentoring to ask for all of this stuff and there is a vulnerability within senior people, so I'm not saying seniors, senior people talking, you know, you're, you're more experienced members of staff, there is still that vulnerability there that, you know, that they can still be afraid to change, to, to move jobs and stuff like that, and especially as a younger person like myself and yourself, I never really considered that a senior person could feel vulnerable in regards to a new opportunity or uh, changing changing career paths sort of thing. So, The fact that Inqual are doing that and almost using uh, their network with with confidence to go into a flexible work environment which they haven't experienced yet, I think I'm just so excited about it. I love
0: love that. By the way, I like that you uh, say they're a young person like yourself and me because uh, uh, on on, on Twitter there was a photo of me and a young person (laughs) in their early 20s and that individual, Jack Parsons. Uh, said, yes. uh, it's great when young people and more mature members of the community." Excuse me. I mean, to
1: be to be fair, I jumped straight on that as well and said, "Thank you for Ruby Day for being the world's oldest for learning." But look, this podcast is a one-off I'm near
0: nothing to last Um Yeah. Look, uh, one of the things that I well, there's a couple of other things that I found particularly interesting. Um, One thing that I'll touch on now very quickly, because it ties into our last piece, I think it's really fantastic as well that not only is this about relationships, but it's about empowering that community. So the idea of, um, you know, you've got a super engaged community, well, reach out, ask, and and give them a bit of reward. Uh, You know, $10,000 referral fees, not to be sniffed at, but it also empowers, empowers them to take action to help build the workforce of the future. You know, they're not just... Being asked for referral and a, and, a, and a monetary exchange, it's saying to them, "Um, well, who 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 is going to be involved in leading these organisations? You can help shape that." It really is like a massage train without the caboose. This this network, this community, everyone is sort of massaging each other or scratching each other's. But no one is left without reward or without something mm. tangible at the end of it. Someone will get a new job. Someone will get ten thousand pounds. Inqo will look really good because their community is smashing it. You know, it's a, it's an amazing cycle that is just gonna it's gonna grow, grow, grow. grow. I, I, this yeah. is a fantastic
1: avenue to, to take something like recruitment down.
0: And and also, uh, I think from a from a kind of a peer to peer learning perspective, Manon's point on. Um, you know the the traditional model of of scaling a business like this is to hire recruiters, but she had no background in recruiting. so so yeah. doing that made no sense. I think that's quite ballsy. Like if you in, enter an indus, an industry and it's like well I, I I'm going to tackle recruiting and I'm an attorney," The natural reaction would be to bring in someone with some experience of recruitment, and then you'd probably build something quite traditional. to have the awareness to go, "I don't know much about this industry, therefore, actually, Stuff the rule book. I'm going to do it my own way, and you know we talk a lot about build the company or build the products that you in, that you wanted to build. That ties into that.
1: Absolutely, uh, it's yes, yeah. it's incredible. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's like you and I are going to start a bakery company. You know, it's that foreign to our current role that we would never do it. And if we did, we might then you know host a bakery podcast, but someone else would do the cake baking. You know, it's man on his become my hero,
0: I think. <laughs> I have to say, by the way, I, I make a pretty mean pizza. Uh, just saying. Yes, I've had one of them before, actually. You bought
1: them into one of our bake sales,
0: didn't you? Oh, yeah. I'm going bra- to brag on that point, but I can't bake for shit. Other than pizza dough, that's me done. My wife... That's it. Uh, excellent fruitcakes. Well, at least I think they're excellent. We've made them. We haven't tasted them yet, but there we go. Um, anyway. <laughs> cool. Oh, Haley makes incredibly good um, gingerbread with soya butter, that can be done. Soya butter? Yeah. Soya butter. Well, cause, uh, because she has pancreatitis, we can't have kind of fatty foods, so yeah. Doesn't mean I have to have it though. Soya mate, butter. they are the best gingerbread, I'm telling you. Anyway, we, uh, on that note, uh, <laughs> thank you Manon for coming on the show. We are going down a particular rabbit hole that people will not follow us down. So we'll go to our advert break. Uh, But when we come back, we do have a piece of news, so stick with us and uh, talk to you in a second. As our listeners are aware, we have a wonderful deal for them via audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, a free month's trial. And Christmas is coming up, isn't it, Jack?
1: It very much is. It's it's so close now. People have got their Christmas trees up, shops have got their decorations out. It's We're in the final rungs of the lead-up to Christmas now. Michael
0: Buble is around every corner.
1: Exactly.
0: Now, if you go onto Audible, mm. what would you buy for your Christmas stocking filler? Do you know
1: what? It's a little bit different, it's a little bit out there, but fans of the BBC programme People Just Do Nothing will know that the character, Chapuddy G, has put out a comedy book, um, How To Be A Man, and it all pokes fun at his character and so on and so forth. And if you get the audio version, it's him narrating it as well.
0: I'm sure it's delightful. It's not very festive.
1: Not very festive, but I guarantee you it's hilarious.
0: Good. Well, for balance, you could also, of course, go on and download The Snowman and the Snow Dog.
1: Yeah, or Charles Dickens' A
0: Christmas Carol. Absolutely. So, audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Why don't you find yourself a little treat for the festive season?
1: Have a book on us.
0: Welcome back to Tech Talks. It is time for Monday's news. the news today microchipping employees what are the legal implications this is a piece of industry analysis that was published in UKTN on Friday um the writer is a lady called Claire Gilroy Scott uh she is a partner in, in, in the employment team at Goodman Derrick LLP shout out to to Claire microchipping employees jack thoughts yeah ridiculous uh, <laughs>
1: In the, in, in the article is that we won't have to carry passes to get into buildings anymore like that's such a hindrance mine sits in my back pocket all day and I don't even notice it and you know I don't tr- I don't trust
0: the person I sit next to with my data let alone my employee your employer hey what's wrong with Josie? what's wrong with our stand in host when you're on holiday Josie will probably use my Fair enough, well look, uh, <laughs> um, I've, yeah, I, look. this is just bizarre, okay? So it's talking um, about a company that's uh, from, from Sweden, they're a manufacturer of implants called Biohacks. They're reported, reportedly discussing microchipping a number of UK businesses' employees. They've already chipped, right? this is amazing, they've already chipped 4,000 workers in Sweden, and the UK business Biotech has reportedly chipped 150 of its workers Including its directors, I kind of immediately think they're probably chipping low, low-level employees for some reason, and, and that might be horribly biased on my part. But you just assume that they probably are, uh, which is wrong because it yeah. kind of suggests that they're like property. But no, it's their directors as well. Um, and where you know, it, it points out that wearable technology is now common in the workplace, and you know, this is the next step. Biohacks microchip. It costs around one hundred and fifty quid. It's the size of a grain. Uh, a grain of rice, rather, and is implanted between the thumb and index finger.
1: Well, I just don't want my employer in any way, shape, or form penetrating my skin. I don't want it. I don't. I don't that's ridiculous. It's it, how invasive is that? And you know more than anyone, Dave, how much of a fan of biotech I am and wearable tech I am. I've got done products of the week that are ridiculously stupid, but it's a bit wearable tech that you know serves a function. Talks about wearable tech that fills the air around you, things like that. This is this is internal wearable tech for the good of what to get into your building five seconds faster.
0: No, look, the, oh, there no is there there is a piece in the article that points out that this might be beneficial for people with disabilities. Okay, and and we are tech for good, um, and maybe that's something that you know anyone involved in this industry who can who can shine a light on the on the positive angle and why that is. Why that's a significant enough factor that this should be considered, I'd be open to hearing, right? I I would be open to it. But my initial stance was this is, you know, what is wrong with wearables? There's nothing wrong with being able to take them off and and collect, you know, the kind of data that you'd be wanting to to collect uh, or access to buildings through a smart band or something like that. And I, I stuck out on Twitter uh, earlier today, and this is Friday now, saying you know if your employer wanted to microchip you, what would you say do and one of the immediate replies uh, we had a we had a couple just saying absolutely not, just kind of yep. uh, one one reply uh by um, uh, Christopher uh which is at fintech um was just a head exploding um a a cross and thumbs down but uh Michelle Thomas. Um, replied to say what if I change employer would they have to cut his house which occurred to me too Right, if you leave your yeah. job and you've got an implant between your thumb and index finger they've got yeah. to remove it which that's not going to be pleasant no it
1: just to sound like the matrix or something where you put Liz in your belly button it's just too much it's too much you don't, you don't need it you've, oh, what, what's wrong with the parts yeah <laughs> Um, I know, I know, I know you're saying, that you saying that it can enable better movement or whatever for some disabled people, but there's other methods to do that. That's not, you know, quite literally getting under the skin of your
0: employer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had another reply that said class action lawsuits uh, for infringement of my human rights. Uh, yes. uh, another person who I know, uh, Richard Doughty got in touch to say I don't see how it could survive a legal challenge. And interestingly, he then copied in um, a guy called Kevin Poulter who runs The Hearing Podcast Um, and he said, I struggle to see um, where there could be justification right now. Even convicted criminals only have an external tag. Yes, it's very true. It's very true. Um...
1: Easier and better and so on, but oh, I'm racking my brains in man, and, I, and I'm all for getting an aquarium with jellyfish in for the sake of tech. And
0: I'm not, I'm not. What I love is, is is in the article. It's it's got a little kind of um, bullet by bullet guide to you know how can employees introduce and operate a microchipping scheme lawfully? Question <laughs> mark. Top 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 bullet point. Consult with employees about introducing <laughs> microchips. Well, I <I'd> hope so. <laughs> I so am yes. just going to hit you over the head with a bat and then you wake up and they go, ah!
1: You turn up Monday for work and you go, uh, you, you immediately walk into the office, they put a blindfold on you, pull your hand away from your body and then just stamp you and then that's it. You don't know what's happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're property of your owner. But I just wanted to add one thing. If you are clocking into work
1: uh, with a pass via a gate or a turnstile or whatever, your company can check what time you clock in, clock out and so on and so forth. Yeah. So if they want to get big brother, nanny, state about it, that's already that You don't need to, like I say, rip open someone's hand and put a grain of rice in there to do
0: that. There is one other angle, of course, uh, from a health and safety point of view. Um, if you remember back to our specials for the fifth anniversary of level 39, um, we had a uh, business that had got um, GPRS, no, it wasn't even GPRS rather, sorry, but um, a location tagging a piece of software into your smart card. And that was for the express reason of not just giving you access to a building, but from a safety point of view, that if there was a fire in a high rise office, you know where your staff is, You know, you know, you can tell emergency services who is where, and you can see exactly where they are in that building. Now, I suppose if you tag someone, then that could be one potential upside. But again, why would you need to actually physically tag someone if you could give them a smart card with that same geolocation or whatever it might be service along those lines?
1: Just saying,
0: GDPR is enough, I think, for them to be put off by stuff like this. Like, but, we don't know what's going to happen with the data. But yeah, ar- the article God says one hundred and fifty employees in the UK are already tagged. and I, I, I'd be fascinated to know why those one hundred and fifty said yes. I'd be fascinated said, to know. I mean, the ones that developed it in the UK, right? But, but I'd be fascinated to know why the four thousand staff in Sweden have said yes. You know, I.
1: Four day working week now, or the six hour working day, there's definitely some things like that that are
0: going well. These seem to be the opposite ends of the scale. You know, you can work four days, but we're going to chip you like a pet.
1: Well, exactly, exactly. You know, you you get a better work life balance, but when you're at work, you can't they can't go to any form of social media. I believe that might change, and also you're chipped up to the eyes, you ain't moving anywhere without getting zapped. So, don't chip your employees.
0: It's, It's... don't chip your. That's that's the takeaway from today's podcast. Don't chip your employees. I mean, look, we we yeah. are we are open minded individuals. If anyone uh from the two companies, the two manufacturers, listens to this show, biohacks or yeah. um it was biohacks in Sweden or biotech in the UK, want to come and talk to us about actually why this is good. I mean, in the past we've been skeptical about stuff and then go, oh okay, fair enough. You know, Stream for example, yeah. we like Stream now that we understand it. Yeah. I'm not yep. convinced that this will be such an easy sell, but I'd love to find out more and why. And, of course, we'll include the notes to the article in the show, show notes, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, come, come on the show
1: and just it and please, because maybe we've not been fed enough information about it, you know. Maybe we have only been not, you know, scaremongered by, by the articles and stuff like this around it. You know, we, we are always open to hearing alternative
0: viewpoints. Yeah. Anyway, with that, um, I will let you go and enjoy your weekend, Jack. Um, enjoy the lie-ins and dossing about not doing much <laughs> else. Exactly. got Arsenal, Arsenal whiteboard for Sunday lunchtime.
1: That's about as stressful as my weekend's going to get weekend, I
0: think. Yeah, so all that remains to, for us to say is, look, we hope that our listeners have a lovely week. We know that we're talking about the weekend. Obviously, as we said, we're recording on Friday. We're going to go slope off, but uh, we'll talk to you again on Thursday. bye.